to the Sojourn Church podcast. We are glad you are here, and thanks for listening. As a church, we exist to exalt and enjoy the supremacy of Jesus Christ in all things, equip the saints, and extend the gospel to all people by reproducing disciples and churches for the glory of God. More information about the life and mission of Sojourn Church can be found at SojournTulsa.org. That's S-O-J-O-U-R-N Tulsa.org. Well, we are going to be um, looking at these next five weeks, uh, transitioning from this idea of Advent. If we've taken the time to look through what Advent really means, um, and then if that's affected us, if that's changed our thinking, impacted our thinking, um, then then what what does that mean for our our lives? And so, um, looking at this idea from Advent into assessment, because if you come across something that, that is remarkable, something that is, just brings you to your knees in awe, um, the natural response of that is to, as you take steps away from that, to think back on that and, and to think through this huge event that, that has impacted you. And so to see um, this beautiful picture of God sending his son, sending light into a dark, dark world. And so as we sang that first song, um, I love how Brad still pushes the envelope and still on things that like where, and sometimes our little sub-circles in Christianity can have these, you know, like ideas of, oh, we wouldn't want to do that because this happened and this happened, instead of going to the raw content to consider it. And so that idea there, um, he's making beautiful things. And, and even sometimes in, in like reform circles, we want to take the, the worm theology and just like, no, no, we're not, we're, we'd never be beautiful. We'd never be beautiful. We can never be beautiful. And John Owens, my hero, says that that's a slap in the face of God, that he sent his son to die on the cross to cover you in a robe to, to make you embraceable, that he pursued you when you weren't worthy. And for you to go, no, 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 I'm just a, I'm just a worm. I'm just, I, 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 you should be so proud of me because of my theology. I know I'm a worm. It's a slap in the face going, I did all of this for you to embrace you, and you're, you're rejecting that because you think that you have a theological standing? No, I'm making you beautiful. My, my son is beautiful. His righteousness is beautiful. Everything that he's done is beautiful. And I'm saying, that's applied to you. I'm making beautiful things. Now, just because we're in this fallen world and we can't see Revelation 21 and we, we can't experience that, and even in our high, high days, we can't think through with, without a depraved mind, seeing all the brokenness, all the hurt, all the, the baggage we bring in. But he's going, no, no, you don't understand. I'm making all things new. I can make beautiful things out of us. Sinful dirt. And so we, we've got to embrace that. And then that next song that we sang there, um, how he loves us. Um, that, that, that part where he says, um, I'm unaware of these, uh, you're, I'm unaware of the afflictions eclipsed by glory. I realize just how beautiful you are and how great your affections are for me. Right before that, when he says, like a hurricane, um, your love is like a hurricane and I'm a tree bending beneath the weight of his wind and mercy. And so, man, I'll, you guys have heard me say, I, I pray this for you. I don't want to, but this last year has been that picture. If you've ever seen just a little picture, probably 2019, 2020, I kept going like, ah, 2021, let's hope things get better, hope things get better. 2022, and I had no idea. And, and when you're a frail, weak tree and a true 400 mile an hour, you know, hurricanes coming across or 180 or whatever they have to be, and it, 
you need mercy. You realize you are frail and weak and completely dependent, and so needing mercy. And so I pray that some of you this year get to go through some things like that where you, you realize in, in the weight of this hurricane power wind, the things that he's going through that, man, he is making things new. He can make beautiful things come out of difficult circumstances. He can, he can renew your soul. There's people in here that need hope in our own congregation that need hope, that need um, satisfying love from the Father. And then the idea there in that song that, that this Father comes and pursues with this huge kiss. You may have a Father still on this earth, but when you don't have one or one's rejected you so painfully or one's abused you so bad or one's been gone for 20-something years, you can't imagine what it would be like to have an older, loving father come and pursue and embrace. And so to know that God, even though you can't feel it right now and it's not tangible, it is real. He is making those things new. So um, some beautiful things that we can think through. So thanks, Brad, for taking the time to think through in a new year, how can we lift our gaze to hope? And uh, Seth um, McCoy got to go to another passion conference this year. And Jamie and I, growing up, probably some of you got to go to passion conferences. And then when you get older, man, you, you look back at those and you're just like, oh, I would love to be there. And I loved when there was, you know, 20, 30,000 people. Uh, I was not, you know, I, I was always jealous of the ones who were just like dancing around, like running into people and just, you know, jump in. And so I, I, I love though, I would, I would make myself small in my seat and I would just cover my face and just listen, because I, I just love to picture and imagine what will heaven be like when it's not, you know, uh, you know, whoever uh, on the stage, uh, David Crowder or some or Chris Tomlin, but it's actually Jesus at the center, and we're singing these songs. What will people be doing? Like, I mean, it will be nuts. I mean, it's going to be like, you know, probably this, you know, this protection zone like they have to do when those, those crowds rush the fields after a big game. Like, you see those security people, and like, uh, there's 20,000 people coming at me. I think I'll just turn my head down and let them rush the field. Like, what will that be like? There'll probably be some nutso people, you know, we'll just have in heaven some nutsos that, uh, here we're at the worship thing again, and they're going to rush the stage and grab Jesus, and he's going to be okay with it, and, and, and it'll just be incredible. And so those, those things, uh, Seth, don't take those for granted. I pray that God will use some things that he showed you and, and brought about your heart and stuff in those times. And so hearing that, I'm just jealous of that. And so we get to, wouldn't you like to go back without the weightiness of, of, of all the things that you're dealing with, of jobs and people and family and, and sometimes kids, the things that that brings into it and, and finances and the world system, like to, to be at that place where you're, it just seems like there's a raw connectedness with God. And so he's offering that. It, it, you'll still have the weightiness, but he's offering every new year, every new day, there's new mercy. So if you come in uh, in 2022 was um, truly one of those years where you're just like, man, I need some hope. He, he offers that. It's not magical enough about our service or the sermon or these songs, but this God is real and offers that. And so um, now considering Advent, he come because of all that brokenness. That was his, his, his purpose. And so I hope that we see in this, that um, in the scriptures that we look at, that that's why, the very reason he came. Some of the things that we like to put off and, and not engage with and we hate and distrust and dislike, those are the reasons he came. And so it's not that we begin to enjoy those things, but that we go, now that we've got light, we need to be light in darkness. We need to bring hope in that kind of world. And so um, that idea, two big factors that play into that. When we look at Advent for a month, his coming, and then we're aware of his first coming, but we're aware also of his second coming, 
And then we look at the broken world around us. Those are two huge factors. Because when you are in the midst of the world and you're looking at all the brokenness and the political systems and the wars and the terrible atrocities that happen, if you don't continue to look at Advent and continue to lift your gaze at Christ, like 2 Corinthians 3, 18 talks about, if you're not beholding the Lord, it really affects you. So you've got to be considering Advent as this world around you may be seeming like it's crumbling. He's in control. He's with us in that. And so when we look at Advent and the broken world around us, I want us to think through what that looks like. Um, Think through God and even just planning our calendar year, that he wanted this whole time that he knew, it wasn't a surprise to him, that this whole month um, that, that those who were followers would, would begin to go, we want to really focus on and look at the coming of Jesus and then his second coming. Just for 30 days or 30-something days that we're able to gaze at him. Maybe staring at him more. Maybe for you, it's resting in him more. Maybe for you, it's treasuring him more, greater affections. So that natural progression would be enjoying him more, thinking about him more during Advent. And so after gazing at Advent, if that's true, then we have to look at our life in between his first Advent and his second Advent. And you've got this little small part of your life, and I've got a little slide that I use this, I call this this lifeline. And so here's the two ways of looking at life. And if we're not, if we're not careful and not um, thinking through it, contemplating, we accept the first one real easily. It's where it, the, the, it's a line with my life and I look at it as my life. And then here's my, at the end, I think through here's my end goals, whatever that would be for you. And the, the idea is, God, your job is to come and bless my life. I've got this trajectory. I've got my end goal, where we want to end up for retirement, how great that's going to be, how comfortable that's going to be, how wonderful that's going to be. And along the way, I I don't want to sign on to any pains, any bumps in the road, any tragedies, any scary things. I want my life trajectory. And God, your role is to come and bless my big, beautiful life. And man, we all want that. If you want to grow churches really big and you want to make millions, people buy that. If you can bottle that idea and sell it, people will buy that. But we want to teach our kids and we want to be in the mindset that, hey, here, here, it's really God's redemptive plan. It's always been God's redemptive plan with his end goal purposes. And my life is just a little bitty dot. So I don't know if some of you can see the little, the, the, my life is just a little dot, a dot that joins that. And so I'm asking, hey, instead of, hey, God, come and bless my life, how does my tiny little dot of life fit into your overall redemptive purposes and your overall redemptive plan? And so we're given this one life. Um, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 says um, that do not know your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have received from God. You're not your own. You were bought at a price. So glorify God in your body. So you're a steward over, over your life, this temporary shell of a body. It's a temporary shell. And so that's why we say don't do things that destroy this body because it's, it's uh, an issue of, of being a steward of this body. Um, it, it's this shell of you're, you're being a steward of your heart. And, and, and along the, the path somewhere, you discover this, this true, beautiful situation of salvation that was offered. So the gospel message becomes real to you. Um, you're a steward of relationships and time and work. And so um, when we look at that, here's the three main points 
taking this idea from advent to assessment, we need to be assessing our hearts and our lives, where that's at. And so here's the three main points we'll hit today in this section in Luke chapter 10. Um, The first point is uh, Jesus invites and appoints his followers into service. So we begin to see instead of just Jesus doing all the ministry, um, it's shared ministry that extends gospel influence. Shared ministry extends gospel influence. And we saw that happening with Jesus. We'll see that in this passage. The second thing is the harvest seems overwhelming because the laborers are a minority. Um, The harvest seems overwhelming. And and what I mean by that, if you're real and honest, that's what it's overwhelming the church right now. Evangelicalism is we don't like the overwhelming feeling of darkness encroaching, um, taking over. And so the reality is the harvest seems overwhelming and the laborers are a minority. And then the third point there is prayer. It's not, not only some of the most difficult labor, but it's the most essential labor. So you'll see Jesus here not going, hey, it's going to be tough. It's going to be rough. Just go get busy. Go, go get busy. Go, go kill it for God. His answer is, when you begin to look at the world, you're going to say, man, we need you, Lord. Pray earnestly to the Lord. He's the only one that can bring this. So let's look at this in Luke chapter 10. Um, Luke 9, Luke's one of my favorite of the Gospels. Luke 9 is one of my favorites, all the, the extreme kind of discipleship type stuff. Uh, Jesus confronts a whole lot of stuff and makes it really clear about you better be all in and following me um, all through chapter 9. Then in verse 10, in, in chapter 10, you get to this turning point. And so this after this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And we're going to hit this next week, tying this all in. Go your way then. Behold. That word behold is a pause. Really think through. I'm sending you out as lambs among wolves. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for your provision of our lives. We thank you for your grace on our lives. We thank you that it's not up to us to just um, figure everything out on our own. It's not up to us to um, manufacture um, a society of people where they, they fake loving you, but we can trust that you are calling people to yourself. You are bringing people unto salvation. And our job is to be ambassadors and messengers. Just like you sent out these disciples, these committed followers, um, would you help us to assess our own hearts in these ways as we go through these next few weeks? Um, We thank you for your word, and we thank you that your spirit is um, helping us to understand. Uh, Spirit, we ask for you to bring true um, conviction where we don't align with your word, where we don't align with righteousness and holiness. We ask for you to bring a confession of sin, a repentance of sin. But we also uh, pray that you wouldn't just leave us there, that you comfort us in renewal, like we sang those songs earlier, that you're making all things new. You're making beautiful things out of us. Despicably evil things, you're making them beautiful. Would you give us a picture of that, that there is hope in us being renewed, things in areas that we felt like that we couldn't change, areas of, uh, of our lives where we felt like that we're stuck and they're just not getting better, that you promise renewal. Um, and then we can rest 
in you, that you are doing that work. Our rest is in you, and that leads to further rejoicing. Holy Spirit, would you bring those gifts to us? We pray in your name. Amen. So um, the first thing there, the first point that I brought up was Jesus invites and appoints his followers into service. Um, So in this section of scripture, um, this is later on. So Jesus did this a few times and used this harvest as plentiful talk. Um, so it wasn't just one time. So you're in the gospels. It's hard to tell sometimes where is he at the end of the three years of ministry? Is at the beginning? He did it um, different places. But this is drawing in Luke's gospel. Um, this is where it's drawing to a close on his earthly minister, uh, ministry. Um, Passover was coming. Um, there were still so many cities and villages that were out there. And so he knows, the Father's made clear to him, and him getting alone and communing with the Father, that your time is growing closer. He knew with the crowds and different things going on that, that it's, it's going to build up to this point. He knew in his mind what the Passover was supposed to be. And, and so in that, um, he, he, he had this group of followers. So he had, the, he had the 12, so you got the 11 true committed ones and then a Judas. But then it also reveals to us that there was this growing number of disciples because he sends out this 70, right? And two by two, he sends them out. Now, what's incredible about this is they didn't get the bigger scope. So think about this. You're, you're, you're kind of jealous because there's the 11 and Peter and John. They seem like you know, he always takes them off and they're giggling and laughing. And you're wondering if he's, they're, they're making jokes about you. And, but you're just like, man, Jesus, he's really close with those guys. But you're some of the committed ones. You've been there for a few months or maybe over a year. Every time you hear about him coming into your little area, you're always there. You've probably had some personal interaction with him. Maybe lots of times where you've been at a table with him several times. The, the Bible doesn't tell every single day of his life. And so you're committed, but you're committed enough to where he makes this kind of uh, challenge to where, hey, you. And so he goes two by two and he sends them out and says, here's the area I'm going to send you out to, to this village. And, and you, you two are going to go to this village. And you two, you're going to go to this village. Now, now think about this. They didn't understand the bigger scope. Israel was not going to become this world powerful, uh, world challenging um, nation that they thought they were going to be. So they think that he's the Messiah, some of them, but then they're not going to win overall with this powerful militaristic force that's going to oppress the Romans or remove the Romans. They don't understand that at this time. Um, they also don't understand that this revolution that Jesus is starting is going to go way beyond their villages and towns. So they're like, oh, I'm in. Let's go. Hey, come on, let's go. And so me and my partner, we go and we hit this village and we come back. So, so now what? So, so now what, Jesus? And he's like, yeah. You, you did it, you know? And so just think about that. It's, you, we want this huge revolution type thing, and there's just some things in the mundane of just following Jesus. Um, the Chosen, that, that, that uh, series, uh, they do a really good part for, uh, job of in, in two or three different videos of they're all kind of frustrated. The disciples are frustrated because they don't understand what he's doing. They're just not getting it, and, and they do a great job, and I would be right along with them like, let's do, you know what, let's get Jesus fired up. Let's tell Jesus, and we've got a plan. Like they would probably, you know, take and like, Jesus, here's what we need to do, because they're getting frustrated not seeing uh, this powerful force. These people didn't get that understanding. Uh, they didn't understand that this gospel message was going to go beyond those villages and towns and borders. Um, so this is way before Acts chapter 1, when Jesus ascends to heaven, where he says um, that the Holy Spirit's going to come and in and, and power, and you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and then in Judea and Samaria, people you hate, all those people you hate, and to the ends of the earth. 
That, that, we're not even to that point. This is just sending out the 70 to these places who had not heard the gospel yet. And the Holy Spirit was going to be the one that's going to come along with this message of the gospel and love from God as being the catalyst, being the powerful force that was going to change and transform them. Um, so Jesus was revealing in part this future perspective and mission. So here's a first picture of this is the church. This is the beginning of the church age. So remember what I said the first. Jesus invites and appoints his followers into service because shared ministry, not just one person, shared ministry extends gospel influence. Um, in the Jewish system and all other religious systems, there's the, the, the positional leaders who are paid professionals as um, the ministry leaders or priests and then there was the congregants. And there wasn't this idea that the congregants in those religions go and do ministry stuff. And so they, and they definitely weren't big about proselytizing in some of those things. And they definitely weren't big about going and performing the same types of ministry that their, the master did. And so here's Jesus setting a tone. So we see early on that he's setting this picture. Um, it reveals the greater perspective of the, of the growing numbers of committed followers. Um, and, and Jesus is coming behind them as they go. Their ambassadors taking this message, just like if we go into a, a missions area and, and we go and, and, and we're, we're going to proclaim the gospel, build relationships, and do these things, do we think that's what's going to change them? Or do we believe the Holy Spirit is going to come and bring that power? That's what he's showing here. So it's a picture of the church extending into darkness, extending to these villages and towns early on, and they, they had no idea of this. Um, so for, the, for those followers, considering these two factors together, Advent, we believe he come down from the Father. It's crazy. It's little Mary, and his dad's a carpenter, this, this little weak guy from, from Galilee, and yet I believe he's the Son of God. I believe he's the Messiah. We know the full story, but for them early on, that was difficult. Um, but he called them into service, so they had to decide, am I all in on this? Am I willing to do these things that he's going to call me to do? So um, you see, extending the gospel through this shared ministry. And the second thing there is the harvest seems overwhelming because the laborers are a minority. Um, anyone not feel that right now in the world? If you've been in the church any at all, even like not even committed, like just over in the corner, you just know that, man, outside the church's walls, like it seems like you're, you're, you're being labeled or maybe attacked just because you say that you believe what this means, just because you, you read it and say, well, I, I think it just says this, then you, you're categorized as someone who hates or someone who is trying to uh, attack someone. You're like, no, I, all I said was Jesus said this. It wasn't even my idea. Like, I know this is confrontational, but this is what this is. Um, and and I, what's beautiful about this, he says, if you're one of those people the harvest is plentiful. We use that as kind of a motivating thing. He was going, it's darkness. It's spiritual warfare. It's opposed to my kingdom. If you're one of the, the 70 and the 11, it's going to be opposed to you. That, that's the, look, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are very few. Um, you know, we're in the Bible belt. Um, I joke Jamie all the time because you guys know I don't, I'm not real big on dressing up and stuff like that. And um, so like, if, if it's anything like athletic, I'm wearing shorts or sweats, you know? So I love anything that, that were happening. Like even when we go to like a banquet, I'm like, is there going to be a lot of guys, dads wearing sweat stuff there? Or, you know, I always want to know what coach McCoy is going to wear. Like if he's wearing sweatpants, I'm going to be wearing shorts or sweatpants. And so uh, we're, we're no longer a Bible type belt with everything tight and fastened. You ever 
get those impossible clothes off and there's just that ring around your waist? I'm probably the only one like that. Uh, I think that we're, the Bible Belt even is in this stage where it's just loose kind of sweatpantsy material. Like it's not a tight, rigid thing anymore. Like it, just even the Bible Belt, um, there is a, a, a lessening on some things. Uh, it's no longer a true belt. Um, Jesus saw the vast need of an opportunity for bringing hope and grace and salvation. Um, we often forget this. And, and if you're not careful around us, uh, I'm not on social media, but I don't, so I don't know that's any of you guys, but I see this happening. And it's one of the reasons I hated social media to see Christians joining in in the attacking on, on social media. It's like, well, you, you're, you are, and not, not, not in the way of, well, we're just presenting through. It was uh, attacking forms. And so uh, lots of that. And so we get offended or we get angered by lostness. And we have to remember that Jesus didn't get angry about that. And, and people will try to use the, the temple where he turned over the table. He came because of that. And he's telling them, look around. It's all evil. They're doing exactly everything opposed to me. So what? I want you to go out to those people. I've, you've got hope now. You've got salvation so just think of that. He came for that very reason when sometimes we use that as the reason that we hate them, the reason, the reason that we, we're disgusted by them. And, and definitely, I'm not saying that there are lots of, lots of levels of, of sin that we should be disgusted by, right? But we still can go and share with them um, to think through that. Um, he said, you are going to be in a vast minority, Remember earlier he had said, the path is broad and wide and it's very, very easy that leads to destruction. Uh, we tell our boys this all the time. Uh, but narrow is the way that leads to life. And it's very difficult and only a few find it. That's just rude of the God of the universe to go broad and easy is the way to destruction. But narrow and only a few find it? And so the harvest is plentiful. The, the laborers are going to be few. And part of what is unsettling to Western evangelicalism is the, the cultural mores and norms were switched seemingly overnight, and we want it to be where our beliefs and our lifestyle choices are in the majority. And he said, it's not going to be that way. And, and there's some confusing voices coming from evangelical places that are saying, we were always guaranteed to be in the moral majority. You're always guaranteed. We're a Christian nation. We're a, and there's just confusing voices in that. One document in America is our guarantee, and yet the whole biblical document tells us just the opposite. Our master told us the overwhelming landscape is fallen, enjoying sin, not convicted by the same things that you are. It's the overwhelming majority, and the true followers and disciples and laborers are only few. So the harvest is plentiful. Expect there to be lostness all around. But do not let the vastness frustrate or turn your heart. And I think this is where we're at as the church. How will we respond in 2023, 2024, 2025? Uh, how are we going to be responding? What's it going to be like for your kids growing up? What if in three to four to five years that they say, hey, we will not let you or these other churches meet if you're going to teach from this and say that certain things are wrong biblically. What do you do? 
that will be different. Well, well, that's 60% of the world already. And they've been living that way for you know, 2,000 years. And for us, we're like, no, you can't do that. Well, hey, man, they're, they're willing to change the rules at all times. Remember after uh, the Roe versus Wade is overturned, they were like, well, hey, we don't now, we don't like the Supreme Court's decision, so let's create it, let's add some more to change the numbers. You can't change the rules like that. You know, that, that, that's just wrong. When you take away everything that, that's, that's solid and you just remove it and go, we're going to put, you know, uh, jello down here now. And that's what they're trying to do. And so we can do our part in, in trying to disciple people and share with people the truth and the hope that we have. And we, can, and we hope for and pray for our leaders and pray that God would have patience. But um, I have a whole thing. I'm not going to go into it. But when your answer or your remedy is poison, so if a person has cancer, and they come to the place that they've heard has the remedy for cancer, but yet what you give them is entertainment and is just fake and flimsy, and it's not true salvation that you give them, man, that's judgment. When the people who are supposed to have the words of God don't anymore teach the word of God, your, your, your places are under judgment. So you better find places that are going to hold to God's word. You better find places that are going to stick to that. And it may be a great, great minority. It already is. We just don't want to look at it. We, we want to feel like we're kind of the big overwhelming presence in the corner, and that's not the case. In the same way that some of the most extreme liberal things, they feel like that there's this huge, big, powerful move. It's not. It's, it's small numbers, but it just it seems that way because of media. Um, so we've got to think through. How dark was the darkness this day that Jesus spoke these words. Think through this 70 and those 11. How dark was the dark? How many churches were scattered throughout Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria? Zero. So we don't have to be overwhelmed. We don't have to let it affect our heart that way. And we definitely don't have to just start hating or attacking. We can go, no, how did Jesus help? He lovingly came. He was sent by the Father. We come and we bring a message of peace. How many thriving, huge churches that were influencing governments and countries and leaders? Zero at the time. They were looked at as a cult and a sect that couldn't be trusted. So in this revolutionary change, um, the Spirit would come. All believers would become a laity of priests, a priesthood of all believers. And for the first time, remember Old Testament, the Holy Spirit did not indwell and stay with the person after they were saved. So you see, that's why you see in, in the Spirit of the Lord hit on this person. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him, and he did this action, and it left. It was intermittent, the Holy Spirit. And now in the church age, believers have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And that's a whole difficult thing, like how do I have indwelling sin, but also the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit? And that's a mystery in the Godhead, but it's true. And, and, and if we, the church does a bad job on teaching that it's in defeating sin, it's not you just making tighter lists and just, just white-knuckling it and trying to control. If we would learn more, what Owen talks about is through the Spirit, learning to mortify sin. So I'm always hitting on, we, we need to have conviction. Are you allowing time? in your week, not just a service, a time in the week to sit before the Lord, time alone to, hey, 
show me, show me some areas. Oh, I am convicted by that. Oh, I'm talking to them uh, too, with too much sharpness. I'm, I'm doing this, uh, so I'm convicted by this, and then I, I feel I need to repent and change. I need your help to change. I can't just make a decision, and I'll, I'll never struggle with that again. I need the power of the Holy Spirit to change me, um, and then I need uh, to confess that. And then there is renewal, which then you go, wow, it's three months later. I'm not struggling with that as much. Don't, don't lie to yourself. The, um, there's a Keswick theory that means, oh, I landed. I'll never struggle with that again. I'll just do whatever I want. I, I can go kind of meddle around over here. That's the Keswick theory that you, you reach this elevated place and it's completely wrong. No, that day, three months later, you're not struggling with it. Be thankful because it's grace that's carrying you. You're in a grace bubble and keep on asking the Spirit to help you with that. But in dwelling Spirit, man, thank you so much. I'm rejoicing now because of the renewal that you've done. You've changed and transformed me. And so you see this picture of conviction, repentance, confession, renewal, what we, we sang about. You're making beautiful things out of what I used to be. And now I'm resting in you and rejoicing greater affections, greater worship because of what you've done in me. And so that's what the indwelling spirit does. And that was not present beforehand. So I want you to see something beautiful in this picture from Jesus saying it on that day and those 11 people plus Judas and then the 70 committed. Think through the sheer grace of God connecting this prayer with this crowd and this small band to us sitting here in Oklahoma. That is God's answer to that prayer and God's empowering and sending out people just what we just saw here in that small little three verses is why we're sitting here. So there are people beyond this building, beyond the church's scope, uh, you know, church buildings right now that are sitting out there in darkness in, in, in the great far regions of the world or near us that, that are awaiting us to do like these people, taking the gospel, a priesthood of all believers. Um, God has been faithful, um, overwhelmingly faithful in saving people, growing them, using them as his church to take light into darkness. Because as he said this, the harvest is plentiful. Guess what? You were the harvest. We were the harvest, and we forget that. The people that you can't stand right now, the neighbors that are jerks, the, the, the co-workers that you can't stand, the, the family members, the, the people that you just hate, the, the, the people on the ads or on, on TV or on screens that are just doing things like, I can't believe that. That's the harvest, and you were part of that. And it wasn't because you're smarter or better or your parents were better. It's just the sheer grace of God that brought you to the table. And he paid your way to the table. And he secures you like we saw last week. He holds you at the table. So that was a theme in his teaching. Um, uh, I have a slide up there. It's, it, this is an early time. Uh, it was when Jesus was going early on. But if you notice in this one, it's Matthew 9. He says, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And he said the same thing. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. So pray earnestly for the Lord to send out laborers into the battle, into the um, harvest field. So it should encourage us in this spiritual battle. In a world set against his kingdom, that, that though the harvest may seem overwhelming, Jesus gives us a heart of compassion to meet the opportunity with his love and his gospel, not a numbness. Anyone ever get that way? You might have a few months, even years of just a numbness. Just, and I talk to different Christians, they'll say, I'm just, I'm just numbed out. I, I just don't want to engage. I'm, I'm tired of it. Or it doesn't lead to an anger that, that justifies my vitriol disgust for them. 
Just like, I can't stand how they're doing these things. That's not the compassion. He, he saw that and moved towards them with compassion because he knew the only change that was going to come, anger was going to help that. Love and the gospel is the only hope that the Holy Spirit would use that. Nor fear to justify my ass isolation from that. If it just fear and, well, we can't do this, we can't do that. And we use wisdom in those things. But, but if we're going to use uh, fear or anger or numbness, we're never going to engage. So that's the second point there. Um, and then the third one, in closing, is just prayer. It's not only some of the most difficult labor, but it's the most essential labor. Um, Jesus doesn't tell them to do more or just go do something, just get busy. we got a lot of villages, a lot of stuff. The time's running out. Just go do something. He says, therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest. So it's a command to pray, but more specifically, it's a prayer that God would raise up more labor, laborers. So pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers. So what, what he does in that is he takes part of the harvest that's lost. We're praying, we're, we're going out, we're sharing this, and then they become part of the church. And now there's more laborers. So you're seeing this shared ministry experience extends the gospel. Um, are you praying to God to send out more laborers, more disciples into this vast darkness? Um, do you realize that the one who prays this is probably going to have a heart changed to where they're going to have harvest interest? It's easy to live in numbness, to live in anger, to live in disgust, to live in isolation. That's easy. Aren't you glad Jesus didn't do that in heaven? And like, just too bad. Just burn this thing up. Father, just, just burn it. No, I'm going to go into the darkness. I'm going to go into that with peace and love and the gospel. We're the only hope they have. Um, the one who prays that, they begin to have harvest interest. And so then you begin to go, hey, Father, I want to be used more. Forgive me for my cold heart, my numbness, my apathy. Forgive me for my anger that I thought, I thought, was, I thought it was being so godly and, and attacking them and, and hating them and to being disgusted by them. And yet you, instead of hating me and being disgusted by me, you came and approached me and you loved me and you brought me salvation. So um, it's the Lord who owns the field. Notice he says, pray earnestly that the Lord of the harvest will send laborers into his harvest field. He, he knows. He owns the field. Remember earlier when we went through the parables, we went through the, uh, the ones of the, the weeds and the tares. And so, um, so where, man, he, he said, Jesus told him like, hey, there's going to be some, some good seeds that are going to be actual believers. But remember, there's going to be weeds all around. And uh, that's the picture here. Prayer is the connecting point with the heart of God. If you're not spending time Praying, or if you're doing, you're like, hurry, 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 and then just on the way to work, oh, God, uh, bless this day, help us with this. My stomach's kind of hurting. Just help me have a good day. Like, okay. Like, just think through that. Like, that's not a lot of time for him to be bring conviction, to see godly righteousness change in your heart. That's not a lot of time for him to convict you. That's not a lot of time for you to think through where your heart's at. Prayer is the connecting point with the heart of God, where you begin to enter in going, Father, if you love them, maybe I should love them more. I'm willing to give more of my time or my, my resources, my talents, my, my abilities in that area. So the believer reading God's word or seeing hurting people around them, the, the lostness, the vast lostness, the harvest would naturally be convicted by the Spirit, brought to repentance and confession and then renewal and rest. 
that leads to further rejoicing. There's no greater rejoicing if you're doing that and you're, you're seeing that and you're used and, and God uses you in this person's life that three months ago, six months ago, a year ago, you couldn't even imagine them being saved. And now you're a part of that process. You talk about rejoicing and, and great um, worship towards him when, when you're seeing God renew people's lives like that. Um, it's a beautiful thing. So those two factors, Advent would make us look at the world's brokenness and see those two things colliding, um, and it would lead to more earnest prayer. And so in our culture, that's what you're, you're, you're going through. We just stare to Advent. Are you seeing that brokenness and it leading to more earnest prayer, or are you falling for the ploys of media or your own heart and just being disgusted, and you're, you're just more stressed out, and all these things, and just like a heightened level of frustration and anger, and, and you're, you're just being played by algorithms. And so we've got to be aware and go, that's not what Jesus said. Hey, it's going to be dark. It's going to be, it's going to be very few. You're going to be a part of the minority. Why are you believing people who may not even be believers that are saying you have to be a majority? Like, that, that's not what the Bible's laid out for you. And so... Um, That's what we want to see in this. And next week, we're not going to go into this now, but just kind of an appetizer. Uh, Let me ask you, who was it that had the greatest influence in leading you to salvation in Christ? Think through, who is it that's had the greatest influence in growing your faith and leading you? Maybe, maybe if it wasn't salvation, maybe, but, but maybe it was truth where you really like, okay, now, maybe I was saved at 13, 14. It is weird years, but then, but man, this is when I started growing. So those people... Um, one person, three to four close people. Was it several people sometimes over a period of time? The point is a faithful gospel presence. What they lived out, that's what the world needs right now. That's what we, we have to be. In a world that, that, that's crumbling around us, we have to be that faithful gospel presence. So next week when he says that statement there that, and behold, after I just told it, it's going to be dark, bleak. It's going to be against you. I'm sending you out as weak, juicy, um, appetizing lambs in the midst of wolves. They're going to want to tear you apart. And that's what he said. They, they wanted to tear me apart. They wanted to tear me apart, and they did it. And he was slaughtered for our sake. And in that, we have the provision for it. So just think through that, a faithful gospel presence. So in application, just in closing, as Brad comes back up, um, we'll sing one last song, but just, just think through that, those, those three main points and then the questions there. Jesus invites his followers into the work, so he sent his followers. So assessing your heart, are you all in? Are, are you serving the master with that type of compassion and love and, and seeing lostness as an opportunity, seeing where our country's at, where um, our our, our um, political systems, the polarization in our country, all these things? Or are you seeing that as a great opportunity for hope and the gospel? Or am I falling into disgust and anger and, and vitriol hate? And then on the second point there, seeing that the, the harvest seems overwhelming, the labors are few, um, assessing your hindrances. Is your heart full of compassion or is your heart full of anger, disgust, apathy? And another thing with it, if, if I'm just walking in outright sin, that Satan uses that to where I'll never feel like I deserve to even engage. Whether that's a week, 
two days or two years, if I'm just walking all this in, I know that I'm not really engaging. And I, I, I feel like a fake and a failure if I'm not going to be engaged in that. And it's because of sin. So Satan uses sin to make us feel pitiful to where we'll never be sharing that way. Prayer, the most difficult and most essential part of the labor. The labor. Assessing your communion with God. Are you spending time with God where you're seeing change and transformation in your attitudes and perspectives? Are you seeing change? Are you allowing the Holy Spirit time for that? So it's a good time for the first of the year to bring that type of assessment, looking at Advent, looking at the world that we're surrounded by, looking at our own hearts. Man, this is what I need to be thinking through. So let me pray, and then Brad will lead us in the last song, and then we'll do the Lord's Supper. Father, we are thankful for um, your grace and your mercy. Um, Thank you that Jesus, in this darkened time, no churches around, no denominations, no uh, churches and big temples spread out in these cities um, that were preaching the gospel and doing uh, service ministries to, to, to those around, but there was nothing but yet you sent your son as light into darkness and you provided the salvation that we needed through his death on the cross. All these cities and villages whether they were serving false gods or different deities or or nothing at all, and yet you went and pursued rebels and your enemies. And he sent people out with this gospel message, and the Holy Spirit comes in this beautiful conviction and brings this gift of repentance that we often stiff arm and and try to push away because we don't like feeling guilty, we don't like feeling shame, and yet you can overcome guilt and shame by us embracing repentance and embracing confession of sin. And so we thank you that those are great, great, beautiful gifts. We thank you that you bring then renewal, new life, salvation. So if there's people here, Father, that there's young people or old people that just need that peace and reconciliation with you, would you let them experience that? Would you help them to cry out for mercy for their soul? Would you allow us to be a people who, in the middle of um, just extreme climates, to be a people of peace and joy and love and to be a people who have the hope of the gospel message. Help us to be a faithful gospel presence as lambs in the midst of wolves, as a few, a minority with with a great overwhelming majority surrounding us, a people of prayer and a people understanding the times and the culture that we're in. We thank you that you can help us in that and strengthen us in that provide everything we need in that. In your name we pray. Amen.